when I was doing a stress test. And so the doctor thinks that something needs to happen and I'm going to see the doctor this week. And I got back to the doctor this week and he says, what happened to you? Your heart's doing fine. And, <laughs> and he comes back and he says, well, I'll tell you what, doc, <laughs> you know, I got prayed for and, and God touched me and, and I'm just going to praise him and be grateful for that. And I'm sitting there going, that was a very quick testimony, but that's a testimony. Testimony is, this is the way it was, this is what God did, and this is the way I am now. And, and I know some people back to when they were born and go all the way through their life to get to the point <laughs> and people are sitting there going to sleep. I, I used to do this in, in uh, Europe. I would go to a traffic light or uh, one place, this is where I first started doing it. It was uh, in the Market Square in Thirsk in North Yorkshire, England. And there were some steps at a clock tower that I would preach from. So I would go up this, uh, the steps. Now on market day, when the market was full, there was a street that went through the middle of the market. And so right at the market cross, which is what this clock tower was called, uh, there was a policeman. And the policeman would have to stop the pedestrian traffic to let the cars go through. Well, when he stopped the pedestrian traffic on both sides of the road, there was a whole crowd of people wanting to cross. And they weren't going anywhere. They were a captive audience that I preached to. <laughs> and I only had a certain amount of time because the cop would look at me and he'd turn around and he would, he would get the traffic to go. He would stop the traffic, let the people cross. And I would just stop and st stand there and wait while the people left until he stopped the cars again. Then I would preach again. Now, I only had a certain short amount of time to preach. And I would have to time it. So I would time it sometimes if I was driving down the road and I would stop at a red light. I would preach something real quick until the light turned green. And then I knew how long to preach a testimony. And I, so I would get all these things together <laughs> and people would be confronted with when they came to market or when they were getting ready to cross the street or something, they would be confronted with just a testimony of the power of God, what happens when Jesus touches somebody. It is quite an interesting thing. But I learned that testimonies don't have to be long. I don't have to go through all the background. I just have to say, you know, boy, I was sick. <laughs> it was bad, man, you know. And, I, and God came down and touched me. And I thought I was going to die. But look, praise God, I'm not. I'm alive. Uh, a testimony can be any number of things. You know, my wife could say, well, you know, I was crossing the Hudson River one day and there was this truck coming from the other side and right in the middle of this bridge, the other bridge was being built so that they had to come down to two lanes of traffic and on this bridge was this truck with the name Thurston on it and that's how I knew that I had to marry Brad Thurston was I, <laughs> because the truck was coming. I'm sitting there going, that's... That's fascinating. And that was over 42 years ago. So it did work, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, how can God move? It can be any number of things where we experience God in our normal uh, walk of life. And those are testimonies that we can share. What happens uh, in a testimony? 
Um, well, it means that uh, people are going to be challenged. They're going to have to think or consider things. What are the things that you're sharing about? Do they apply to me as well? So testimonies can be uh, incredibly helpful in sharing the gospel. But our text here in uh, Acts chapter 14 doesn't talk about our testimonies. We're going to look at seven verses here. And it came about that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Father, add your blessing to your word. Now the background the, the, the key verse there was, uh, I read, as I read it, it says they were bearing witness, or the other term that might be in your Bible is they testified, that he testified, that Jesus testified. He, it, let me look at that again. They, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who, that's the Lord, who, was bearing witness or who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Now, that's a fascinating verse to me. I, and to be honest, until I started to study for this sermon today, I had never actually read that. I, isn't it amazing how you can read something for, for years and go over it and read it and read it and you just never see it? And I'm sitting there going... Jesus is bearing witness. Jesus, the Lord, is testifying. So I'm, I'm looking at this, and I've got to look at it in a little bit more of the context. The focus of what's happened here is that they have changed the, uh, the, the leadership in their team from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. And that happened after they had that big encounter on the island of, uh, uh, of Cyprus. You can see down there where, uh, where they're, they're in uh, Paphos. And then they set off and went to Perga up here. This is Perga on the coast. And they left, went up to Antioch in Pisidia. By the way, you see this little lake here? See that like I just circled it in red. Maybe I need to make a, uh, maybe a broader... I'll do it in green here, this lake here. <laughs> I don't know that you can see that any better or not. Well, that's, 
I can do black, I guess. I don't know, maybe. This little lake here is 30 miles long. And people are walking, just to give you an idea. And if you're walking and you're carrying everything that you've got to carry with you while you're walking, and let's assume that they're in good shape because they walk a lot, so they can do maybe 10, uh, 10 miles in three hours. That would be worthwhile. They've got to stop in the middle of the day because it's too hot. You've got to get some water or something to eat. If they did 15 to 20 miles a day walking, that's good, right? And then you have to stop and maybe earn some money, so you got to do some kind of work and labor. So it takes you a while to travel 150 miles. It's not just like a 10-day journey where you can stop in a hotel, but you got to go stay at somebody's house. Maybe the house that you stay in is 12 miles away or 18 miles away. You don't know how far it is till you get to some place where somebody will invite you into your their home. And and then you 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 have to talk with people and so forth. I'm sitting there thinking this is not something that just happens. You know, you can't just drive 150 miles in a couple hours and say, "Well, I'm here," you know? That doesn't work. And and nobody knows these guys. And so when they arrive in the city, the fact that the whole city is going to be upset by what's going on and, and, and uh, confronted with the message of the gospel, this is pretty powerful. And, and I'm taking a, a look at how they get to uh, Antioch and then they leave Antioch and Pisidia because they're, they're, they're stirred up all the people there. An incredible move. The first sermon that was preached was in Turkey was there. It was a powerful message that focused on the promises of God being fulfilled in the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills all the promises of God. And we know that the promises of God are true because Jesus was raised from the dead and he'll never die again. He is the promise giver, the promise keeper, and the one who assures that the promises will never fail. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And because he's alive from the dead, you have a message that's going to the, the Jews that says, you know what the scriptures say. It says that these are the promises of God looking for the Messiah, and he came. I want you to know that the Messiah that we have been proclaiming would come, has come, and his name is Jesus. To the Gentiles, you're saying, I want you to know something, that there is only one true God. The one who made promises over all these thousands of years has fulfilled them because we know through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that his Father is the one true God. Leave the idols. You're, you're focusing on Jesus and you're saying to the Gentiles, do not continue with your idolatry and your idol worship because idols cannot give you anything that Jesus can. To the Jews, you're saying, I don't want you to just think that we're still looking for the Messiah. He came and all of the promises in Him are fulfilled. And in each case, 
there are both Jews and Gentiles that begin to believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. Now, last week we took a look at what happens when Jesus, by His Spirit, begins to illuminate people's lives. The Spirit of God comes to convict us of sin. That's what happens. He came and He illumines us of righteousness, of sin, and of the judgment to come. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So, it doesn't make any difference who you are, Jew or Gentile. When Jesus is being proclaimed, the Spirit of God begins to illumine sin. And there has to be a response that comes from everyone who is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Either it leads me to repentance to say, I've been found out. God, I need you. Forgive me. It leads to repentance. You, you committed your sin, whether I don't care what it is, whether it's uh, adultery or jealousy or, or uh, hatred or meanness or you, you let the sun go down on your wrath, whatever. You, you did it. And if you did it, you need to confess it with your mouth. I remember when I got saved, it took me a whole night. <laughs> and since then, I've tried to keep my things short. You know, if the Holy Spirit shows up a sin, I want to confess it right away and get rid of it. I don't want to start collecting them again. <laughs> you know, you want to get rid of it. So when the Holy Spirit comes, either he convicts me and I say, I got to get rid of this. I can't live with the shame. I can't live with the guilt. And we bring it to Jesus. And what happens when we repent? Come on, that was an easy question. What happens when we repent? We're forgiven. <laughs> the most amazing thing happens. Forgiveness means that the sin is washed away and that God will remember it no more. It's gone. As far as God, you might still remember it, which is good so that you don't repeat it. But God has just erased it and it's not on your record. So you're, you're forgiven. What happens when you're forgiven? You get a testimony. <laughs> Just like when you get healed or anything else, you get forgiven. It's a great testimony. But it's the start of a new life. A new life where the Holy Spirit is in control. Now, the difference between somebody who repents and somebody who doesn't doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit didn't illumine the sin. It just means that that sin that the Holy Spirit illumines comes right up to the surface. So, here's Paul and Barnabas, and they're preaching, and a bunch get saved because they repent, they believe that Jesus can forgive them, wants to forgive them, and so they're receiving God's grace, and the others decide that they want to maintain their sin, trying to hide it, it actually comes to the surface. Their hatred comes to the surface. Their jealousy comes to the surface. Their, their, their control comes to the surface. Their political ambitions come to the surface. All these things start to rise. And they act on their sin, just like 
the one who repents acts on their sin. It's just that one gets forgiven and the other is deemed unworthy of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? So here, here's, here's what happens. Now in the, in, the, in the process of this movement, we see that the mission has been clarified as to what Paul and Barnabas are doing when they come into a new place that has never heard the gospel. They have this amazing message. There is but one God. The Jews have tried to, to live that out, but haven't had the success that Paul and Barnabas are having. They have this little small synagogue where a few people meet and maybe some of the Gentiles come and join them. But when they come in, half of the city gets saved. I mean, it causes a major uproar. This is, and they didn't even have Twitter accounts. I mean, this is incredible. They, they are moving with such an anointing of power when they preach the message of the promise giver, the promised keeper, and the Messiah who is all of that. This is where heaven meets earth. And when heaven meets earth, lives are changed and transformed. Wow. What, 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 what an incredible message. The message comes and it starts to stir up a community that focuses on Jesus. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It, it sounds... Uh, let me tell you something. There are people that come to church. I, I remember I, I said this at a church once, that the reason why we come to church is to worship Jesus. And, and people got mad at me afterwards because they said, no, we come here to meet our friends. We come here... To <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why do we gather? What's the purpose of why we meet here on a Sunday morning? See, the, the focus often has been diverted. Live morally. Get a new set of laws. Don't believe the old laws, but... Get a new set of Jesus laws. The focus seems to be like we have to do these things in order to get God's acceptance and for us to be measured in the eyes of others within the congregation that that we're better than the others because we give more money or we help more poor or or we're more generous in, in our time. Somehow, in the midst of all of this, we lose our focus on Jesus. The focus of the relationship is how do we encounter Jesus, not just once in our lifetime, but on a regular, daily basis, living with Him inside our lives so that He has the control and we respond to Him. My cousin was walking down the road one day and God told him to stop right there and go, go knock on that door. He goes to knock on the door, not wondering what, what, what this is about, knocks on the door and this, this fellow opens the door and he said, God told me to come and tell you that he loves you. He says, you better come in. 
And when he opened the door, he saw the gun in his hand. He said, I was just going to shoot myself when you walked in. We, we don't know those kinds of things. But when God is in the center and Jesus is Lord of all, and we've understood that, the greatest life we can live is the one where He is the Lord of our lives, directing our lives, our thoughts, and our actions. That means we become the image of God on earth. We don't become God on earth, no. But when people look at us, they ought to see that Jesus is at work in us. And that our response is not because some fabulous preacher up on a pulpit is telling us what to do. No, it's because you have personal contact with the Almighty God who speaks directly to your heart and tells you what to do. (laughs) Now, can this go wrong? We're going to look at times coming up when it can go wrong. But that's where we start and that's where we need to remain in terms of how we live in relationship to one another. Suddenly, the communities that Paul and Barnabas are leaving behind are small groups that are meeting in homes where they are discussing how does Jesus fulfill the promises in the Old Testament, which is the only Bible that they have. And they're sitting there looking at it, and they start to get excited. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. That is not just a pleasant verse. When I'm walking in Jesus and I stumble and fall, God is going to lift me up again. Suddenly, it becomes a promise to me that is fulfilled in my life while I am living. Suddenly, this this life with Jesus becomes a dynamic, exciting life because we never know what God's going to do next. I didn't plan coming here this morning and anointing anybody with oil. It wasn't in my mind. God starts to move when we walk with him and we start to see that he has a plan for us that he wants to fulfill and for our lives to be a living testimony. Now, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this this focus being centered on Jesus and not centered on things that we can do, but on the things that Jesus does, we see that this definition leads to the new communities of faith and communities of faithful believers. Notice that when they chased Paul and Barnabas out of the cities, it's only Paul and Barnabas that go. (laughs) What about the other half of the city that got saved? They're still there. And it's not just that it's 
the people who think like me because it's Jews and Gentiles that are getting together to discover this newfound faith in the Messiah Jesus. Suddenly, it's a community that goes beyond the cultural awarenesses that simply focus on these are people who are in the same income, who look like me, who like the same kind of food that I like to eat. No, it goes beyond that, and suddenly you're you're interacting with people who are vastly different to who you are. But they have met the same Jesus. I, I remember after I got saved on the first trip that I took to Europe, and I met with some Christians in Germany, I was absolutely astounded that they knew the same Jesus. It didn't have to be me as an American coming over to tell them about you. They had already met the very same Jesus. We'd sit there and talk about it. It was exciting because I realized that we had something in common in spite of our cultural and linguistic differences. God's not just here trying to build communities of the same people, but he's saving people from across the nations and drawing them together to build them together. And if I don't understand that somebody of a different skin color can be saved or somebody from a different religious background can be saved and that we then have something in common with one another that is far greater than our differences, how are we ever going to reconcile the grace of God that he has shown towards us while we were still sinners. And so suddenly, this testimony in verse 4 of what we just read of chapter 14, I'm sorry, verse 3, it says here, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, And it's the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace. The grace with which we need to encounter one another. The grace with which we need to live with one another. We go back, check the word. But what does the word do when Jesus testifies? This is important. When, when you testify or when I testify, we say, this is what happened and Jesus met me. It may cause you to think. It may cause you to consider. It may cause you to be encouraged. It may cause you to rejoice. It may cause you to be happy for me. But when Jesus testifies, his testimony inspires and starts faith to grow inside of you. There's something different that happens when Jesus testifies. When Jesus says, this is my word and my word is true. And it comes like a bullet into your heart. It bypasses your thinking and you don't understand how it all works. You know it's true on the inside in your knower. Some You know in your knower. Somebody said that once and I just thought that was interesting. You know in your knower and you're sitting there going, I know in my knower that this is God and it's going to happen. That's something that comes because God 
has testified and when he says, this is what I plan to do, my heart begins to rejoice in him. And whenever he brings his testimony, he's going to bring wholeness. Whether it's forgiveness of sins, that's being spiritually whole. Whether it's healing in body, that's being physically whole. Whether it's healing in my mind, which is mental health. God comes in every area to bring his healing into our lives. And the word of grace that God speaks inspires that. It can happen to you while you're reading your Bible at home. It can happen to you while you're thinking about a Bible verse in the car. It can happen in a church service. It can happen anywhere you encounter the living Lord. So intercultural communities of faith are being started and planted. And it always begins with the one who believes. It has to begin with one who believes. And then when another one believes, they get together and go, you believe too? Wow. Tell me how you met Jesus and how that belief has affected your life. You see, then the third one comes and the fourth one comes. The community is built because many individuals have been overcome by this incredible, amazing love and grace that Jesus offers us. The key to this is believing that Jesus is able to forgive our sins and heal our wounds. Repentance is the result of believing in Jesus. Freedom from guilt and shame is the result of our confession and repentance as Jesus meets us with his power. And unity with all those who have had a similar experience follows that. You see, it's, it's like there's one step after one step after one step as community is being built of people who have placed their faith in Messiah. Now that's church. That's the called out ones. Church was not a building. Church is people who are gathering together, meeting with one another, encouraging and strengthening one another, praying with one another, rejoicing with one another, regardless of how big that community is. Whether it's four people in a room or whether it's 20 people in a room, it doesn't make any difference. You see, God's starting to move. And if we're going to see God move throughout this community, it has to start with individuals who not only begin that walk with Jesus, but understand that that walk with Jesus is going to, to meld them together with other people. They may not like them at first. They may find them different. But if they've had the same experience of forgiveness, then they belong to the same family, and we better learn to get along with our brothers and sisters. That's what happens. And how we do it, that's part of the testimony of Jesus. Because when he starts to speak to us, we start to open up our hearts. See, it's, it's not... When the focus is on Jesus, it's not on people. When the focus is on Jesus, 
we anticipate what he's going to do, not live in a political world where we anticipate what people are going to do or what people are going to think. Our response is to Jesus as opposed to one another. And we live with one another as the Holy Spirit begins to build us together. Now, does that mean that it's uh, a utopian society? Not at all. <laughs> my, my marriage is wonderful. I have a great marriage. I, I, I have a great marriage. I, I am thrilled to bits that God put me together with this woman. Nobody else would have survived. <laughs> but she has been incredibly gracious and forgiving and loving. And I, I honor that. Has it always been smooth sailing? No. Have we gone through struggles? Yes. Have we learned to forgive one another? Yes. You see, the, 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 the issue here is how does God move to bring us together? My wife said something very profound the other day. She said, Brad, if we weren't Christians, we wouldn't have made it. <laughs> we're going, we're going, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. And that's what should happen within the life of a church, that we can't make it without Jesus. Can't make it together. We can't make it with one another. We can't make it to see the kingdom of God brought to bear throughout this community. When God starts to move and he's directing the scene, he's telling us how to do things and what to do, it's amazing what we can do together. It really is. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just going to end because I think that we need to get to the place where we say, Lord Jesus, we, we really do need you. We, we, we don't function well in our own wisdom. We need your wisdom. We don't function well in in our own strength. We need your strength. We don't function well when it comes to fighting the devil and all the evil around us. And we need to be found hidden in you because that's the safest place for us to be. The world may not understand. The world may not understand or know, but that's where we need to be. If we've walked astray from that, come back to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come back to Jesus. Let's focus as the early church did. They weren't building a new building. They weren't building a new, I don't know what they had. They, they were just going around telling people about the Messiah and a lot of people believed. Isn't that interesting? It, it didn't have a big program. There's two guys. There's two guys <laughs> walking, impacting cities. If he can do it there and then, he's the same God he hasn't changed. And when we commit to him, he can still do it. If you need to commit to him, 
If you need to respond in some way, you can come down here and meet with Jesus, pray with him, talk to him, let him talk to you. We gather together, we stand and sing. You take advantage of this moment. Come meet with Jesus.